church. My name is Armand. As the ushers are finishing up with the collection, also welcome to our online visitors. Visitors, they're, as they're finishing up, let's do a Bible trivia. Okay, I did this in the first service, so it's all right. What? <laughs> uh, I said no wrong answer, but actually there should be a wrong answer, right? But anyway, let's do a Bible trivia. What is the most talked about topic or subject in the Bible? Shout out your answer. Jesus? Sorry, no, not Jesus. That's my fault because I always tell people Jesus is always the answer. <laughs> okay, no, it's not Jesus. Faith? Money? Money's there, but money is not the number one. Salvation is there, but uh, it's connected. Actually, hint, hint. Uh, uh, Jen kind of mentioned it twice, mentioned in the communion or in the exhortation. Okay, let me help you. Love is the most talked about subject in the Bible. Yeah. Rightly so, right? Because, oh, is that what you said, bro? Sorry, I didn't hear you. It must be the mass. Okay. <laughs> so love is the most talked about subject in the Bible. All right. So what's the second one? Second one is the most uncomfortable topic to talk about. No, not money. Hell. Yes, hell is the second uh, most talked about subject in the Bible. In fact, Jesus took 11 parables to talk about hell and he gave a very vivid description of what hell looks like. Okay, so what's the third one? Third one is the second coming of Jesus, which leads us to our series in 1 Thessalonians. Amen? The second coming of Jesus is talked about in the Old Testament alone 1,500 times. And then in the New Testament, it comes out one of every 25 verses. That's around 300, 300 something. Okay? So, leading us to our series, which Chris started last week, Future Hope in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And he left off in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And this is what it says. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Man, and this series is really all about this, about the waiting. So Paul tells the church to wait. Wait for the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a reason right there. It's, a, it's a, the statement or the verse already tells us what reason or what purpose is it that he's coming back to deliver us from the wrath to come. All right? Amen. So let's pray as we get into this uh, subject. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you as even as... We had the sweet presence in your worship. We thank you, Lord, that as we declared this morning, you are faithful to us, that all the words that you have declared, you are faithful to complete it. So, Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I pray, Father, that you keep our hearts open to receive and let faith arise from within so that we can continue to look to you as the days approaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to wait for his son from heaven and whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So really, the question that needs to be answered in this series is simple. So how do we wait? That's really the question to answer. How do we wait for the coming of his son? So today I just want to leave you with two words, okay, on how to wait. So let me bring you back to the, to the passage where Jesus first told his disciples that he's about to leave. And it's in the book of John, chapter 14, 1 to 3. 
So Jesus just told them about to leave. So here's their reaction. They were really, in, uh, they felt troubled. So Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, there, there's the word, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm about to leave, but don't worry, don't feel troubled. I'm leaving, but here's the promise. I will come back to take you, and where I am, there you would be also. So pay attention to that word take, okay? That same word in here is also the word that is used in Genesis, where it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Same use, same, same use of the same word, okay? And the way that this word take, took, especially here in, the, in, in Enoch or in Genesis, it has something to do with the taking in marriage. It's when a husband takes a wife. Men, interesting, right? So that means that in the book of John, go back to John, John 14, 1, 3, this passage right here that Jesus was telling the disciple, this is really... A marriage language this is a language for marriage and for the disciples who are from Galilee remember what is the first miracle that Jesus performed turning the water into wine in a wedding no coincidence so this is really a, a, a like what I said a marriage language so how the it's like how probably the question is what how is this a marriage language the Galilean wedding is so different from our wedding today, okay? So let me explain. Wedding in those days happened for, the wedding festival happened for seven days, and that's why they ran out of wine. Seven days of drinking. I know it, it sounds bad, right? Seven days of drinking wine, but Jesus uh, turned the water into wine. It la the, the festival itself, the wedding feast, uh, would last for seven days, but, the, but it begins in the engagement, all right? So how does the engagement begin? The father of the groom will choose a bride for his son. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, For we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy, to be blameless. So the father of the groom will choose a bride for his son. And then to the both fathers, the father of the bridegroom and the father of the, uh, of the bride, will, will agree upon a dowry or what they also call a bride price. It's to, it's, a, it's, a, it's worth just in case there's a divorce, just in case the man dies, and also at the same time, just if what, what, uh, what the value of losing a daughter is. So they would agree upon a dowry, an amount. And if they agree upon, upon the dowry, then the man, the son who wants to get married, will take a cup of wine, and he would drink from it, and he would offer it to the woman, symbolically saying that this... I want to do is I want, I want to make a covenant with you and I am willing to risk my life. I am willing to die for you. That's what it means when he offers the, the, the wine to the woman. When the woman accepts it, she drinks it and then it becomes a legal binding covenant. They're now bound, okay? So then, so when the woman accepts that, she, she drinks the wine and then the man then will declare it or will announce it to everyone present, and he will take that same cup of wine that he drank, and he would say, 
I will never drink from this cup of wine again until I see you in my Father's house. That's what we just did in the communion. When Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant, he offered it to the disciples. When the, when the disciples took it and they drank, Jesus said the same thing. I will never drink this cup of wine again until I see you in my Father's kingdom. Amen? Isn't that amazing? So they're now engaged. So what happens next? The wedding usually uh, will usually happen after a year. So the bride now, now she's engaged, she's betrothed, just like how Mary was betrothed to Joseph. She now begins to make preparation. Remember, they, didn't have, they did not have Ross back then. Okay, so it takes longer to gather uh, materials for their wedding gown and for, uh, for everything. So she starts doing that. The wise bride will begin preparation immediately. She would prepare for, the, uh, for uh, her wedding gown. She would also be preparing for going to a new place to her, for, the, for, uh, for his groom's house. Okay, and as soon as she's completed all her preparation and as the date of the wedding piece uh, draws near, the bride along with the bridesmaid would always be wearing their wedding clothes while they're waiting for the bridegroom. And how do they know that the bridegroom is there? The bridegroom will have a signal and it is the blowing of the shofar. It is the blowing of the trumpet. When the, uh, that's when they know that the bridegroom is there. So that's what the bride does. She waits. Now let's go to the groom. The bridegroom. So what does the bridegroom do? The bridegroom goes back to his father's house, and in my father's house are many rooms, and if we're not so, I have told you that I'll go to prepare a place for you. That's what the bridegroom does. The bridegroom prepares a place, a wedding chamber. He adds a room to the house of the father. Remember, the father is loaded, okay? Our father is loaded, all right? So he prepares a place for them. As a, for their wedding chamber. Now, when he's finished, it's not that he immediately goes and gets his bride. No, he waits for his father's approval. It is the father that tells the son, go now, son, get your bride. It is not dependent on the bridegroom or the bride. The day or the hour is not known. It is only known to the father. When the father says, go now, son, get your bride, then the son will go and greet his bride. Amen. So when, when finally the father says, go, get your bride. Okay. That was Jesus, okay? Okay, I, I think he was upset that he was not, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, the, so he waits. So the bridegroom waits for the father to say, go now, son. Go get your bride. And that's what we're waiting for right now. We're waiting for the son to take us and to deliver us from wrath. And that's what we're waiting for. And that's what Jesus is waiting for. Jesus is really waiting for who? The Father. We, the church, is what we call the Bride of Christ. Amen? And this entire picture, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that's what he's telling the disciples. I mentioned earlier how the first mention of love is about Abraham. Did I mention that? No? The first mention of love in the Bible is found in Genesis where God, where God told Abraham, he says, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, the son that you love, and offer him to the mountain that I will show you. That's the first mention of love. A love of a father for a son. 
The second mention of love in the Bible is this. It's also found in Genesis, and it's the son Isaac, where it says that Isaac took Rebekah to be his wife, and Isaac loved her. It's a wedding. This whole entire second coming of Christ is predicated on the love of God having for his church. Amen? Doesn't that bring you hope? Doesn't that bring you this, uh, 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 th this great, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it, excitement that Jesus is going to come back for me, that my bridegroom is coming? So that's why, so, so what does the, bri the, the bride do as she waits? She prepares everything. She prepares her wedding. She puts on her wedding, uh, and she puts on her wedding gown and her wedding dress, and she's just waiting for the bridegroom to come. And finally, when the bridegroom, uh, the bridegroom comes, there would be a trumpet call, and they will all go out and meet. And that's why they needed the oil for their lamp, because usually it happens at night. Amen? And then the wedding consummation begins. All right? That's why it's so exciting. It's, it's, it's an exciting thing to really to wait. All right? I've been married for 20 years. Yeah. I, but I still remember when I first got engaged. Okay? I, I, uh, I met my wife here in the church back in the 90s in the, uh, when we, we were saving the church. We were both uh, serving in the, uh, in the music ministry. She was singing, and I don't know how to sing, so I was doing the soundboard. Okay? So, but anyway, we, we became close friends. We got to know each other, and we enjoyed each other's company. We were always together. So we, we and ended up that we were always together. We really liked to be together. It came to a point that we were always together. We kind of said, wow, I think we're, we're spending too much time together. Probably we should stop doing it. So we did. We tried. We, stopped, we tried, but it didn't work. We, got, we would always uh, spend time together. Then one day, I think we, we were eating in a restaurant in Aganya, and I just said, you know what? We tried staying away from each other. Why don't we just get married? So that was that. Was that. I didn't get an answer, but then a few, years, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, we were, uh, we were still talking, we were still together, and she said, you know, I need to cancel my trip to Australia. I said, why? You know, so we can, for our, for our wedding. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we got married. Yeah, but by the way, she did not cancel her trip. She took me with the trip, okay? We had our honeymoon in Australia, Cairns, in Cairns, Australia. But, yeah, but that, that's the point. When you're engaged, I mean, that's the whole point, right? That's what Jesus said. I, when I take you, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And that's an exciting thing to, that's, that's so exciting to know that the coming of Jesus, the coming back of, uh, of Jesus is really to take me and where he is, there I would be also. That's why it's, it really is a marriage. Amen? So how then shall we wait? How shall we wait for the coming of Jesus? Well, one word, first word. We should always wait prepared. Just like the bride. She's ready. Anytime it can happen. The hour, of course, it says the day and the hour is unknown, but it can happen anytime. Amen? Amen. So that's the first word that I want to leave with you. I know there's a lot of craziness going on and there's a lot of question about it, but look, your bridegroom is coming. All right? He's coming. If you're like me, when I was engaged, I couldn't wait. It only took us eight months to be, uh, our engagement was eight months long because we wanted to get married right away. Amen? The second word that I want to leave with you will continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
So always be prepared, always be ready. Your bridegroom is coming. So continue reading from chapter one of, uh, or chapter two in Thessalonians. It says this: For you yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain, but but though we had already suffered and, and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So this is Paul's instruction, or this is what Paul went through. You remember how Chris laid out the foundation why the, the letter was written? Because he was kicked out by a, by a jealous mob out of Thessalonica, so he ended up in Athens, and he, wrote, he writes this letter. So now... Chapter 2 really tells us how he continued and how he went to the church of Thessalonica. So really, his example is our example. Yes, we are always prepared, and yes, we should always be ready to, as, the, as, the coming of the Son of, uh, as the coming of Christ is. But at the same time, just like Paul, we continue to preach the gospel. We continue to tell the people that, hey... All this second coming is predicated on the love of God for his church. Continue to preach the gospel that there could be more. More people who can come in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen? So in verse 3, it says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So when we preach the gospel, let it not be about that. Um, it's, it shouldn't be out of error, out of impurity, or out of... Uh, deception. Verse 4, it says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. Let not our intention be about pleasing man, but of course, about pleasing God. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. So it shouldn't be out of greed. It shouldn't be out of deception. It shouldn't be out of impurity or attempt to deceive. Amen? Verse 6. So as we continue to preach the gospel, verse 6 says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from the others, though we could have made, let me just, uh, sorry, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. As we preach the gospel, there should always be gentleness. All right? Then verse 8, So being affectionately serious of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own self, because we had become very dear to us. You have become very dear to us. Yes, we're sharing the gospel, but really when we share the gospel, we're really opening up our own lives. That's why we have life groups. It's where life happens. We open up each other's life. Amen? For you remember, brother, verse 9, Oh, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Same thing, church, as we proclaim the gospel to people, let, we shouldn't be a burden to them, okay? We should not make it, like, uh, we should not make it burdensome to them, amen? The next one, you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's continue to, ex uh, to exhort and to encourage people. Amen? 
That's, that, that's what Paul did, so we should follow the example of Paul. And then, go ahead. And then lastly, it says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul tells the church, You have been our joy. You have been our crown. You, the people that gave their life to Christ, has always been Paul's glory. And church is the same thing for us. As we continue to preach the gospel, as we continue to, to spread the love of God, our joy in our heart shouldn't be about pleasing man, but pleasing God at the same time, lives that's been changed. Amen? Amen. So how should we wait? We should wait prepared and to continually be diligent in the work of God. So that's my title for today. Be prepared and diligent. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I just pray that you would keep us excited at all times. And not only excited, Lord, but always prepared. Prepared for your coming. Always be ready. If you were to come tonight, Father, or Jesus, I pray that we would all be ready that we would all be ready to come or to go with you. So that I just pray, Father, for us as a church, that whatever it is that might be hindering, Father, us, the things that, uh, the thoughts that we have had that, oh, no, he's not coming yet, I just pray, Father, that you remove that from our hearts, but you would keep us ready and prepared always for your coming, for your coming. Oh, bridegroom, oh, our bridegroom, oh, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Before we dismiss, I also want to address another group here. Perhaps there's somebody here today, and as you hear me talking about Jesus being the bridegroom, and he's going to come back for his bride, because the church is his bride. But perhaps you're here today, and you don't know that. In your heart of hearts, you're not sure if you really are, if God is going to come for you. Paul talks about how the gospel was spread. He mentioned uh, about uh, speaking of the gospel, speaking of the gospel. And as I said, that that's really our role as a church right now. We're, we continue and be diligent in speaking the gospel. The gospel is really what, how you can become part of this, uh, become part of uh, the bride of Christ. So I just want to give this opportunity today that if that's you today and you, you're feeling that, you know in your heart that, that you're far away from God. And you've been trying, you've been trying to get close to God. And the reason why you're far away from God is because of sin. Sin is the, sin is what brings, uh, that is what separates you from God. And the Bible tells us that sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the good news is, the gospel is that, uh, it is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived. He was the only one that was able to perfectly walk in the commands of God. He was perfectly sinless. But it also says in the gospel that he died the death that we should have died in our place. That's why he was the perfect sacrifice because he was the only one who had no sin. It says that three days later, he rose from the dead proving that he is the Son of God and then offering salvation and the forgiveness of sin to anyone who repents and receives Him. And perhaps that's you today. You're feeling that 
gap between you and God, but today you want to say, Lord, I want to bridge that gap. And the only way to bridge that gap is through Jesus Christ. And that's your desire right now. Right now, you desire to bridge that gap. You want to be close to, be, to, to God. You want to be able to be called the bride of Christ. And it's really simple. The step is so simple. All you have to do is take that desire and bring it into a prayer. And I want to pray with you. I want to lead you into that prayer. I want to lead you to come to, to God. So if that's you today, that's your desire today, you want to take that next step and take that desire and take it into prayer. So I want to pray with you. But before I pray, I also want to know who I would be praying with. So if that's you today, if there's anybody here today, okay, even if you're watching online, perhaps you're watching online and that's what you're feeling right now. And today you say, I want to pray that prayer. So I want to pray with you. So if there's anybody here in the sanctuary before we pray, I also want to know who I'll be praying for. You could just simply raise your hand and the rest of us can just bow our heads, close our eyes. So if that's you today, anybody here in the sanctuary, that's what you're feeling. You can just raise your hand and I will pray with you. Anybody here? <clears throat> okay, we're good here. But if you're watching online and that's you and you're feeling that I should be close to God, so let's, let me pray for you. Let's just all pray together, church. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did at the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you died for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you have taken it away, never to be brought back again. And Lord, I take you now as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you happen to be online and watching and that's you that pray, give us a message through Facebook or through YouTube. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up church and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for today. Numbers chapter 6 tells us, The Lord bless us and the Lord keep us. The Lord let his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. The, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace and shalom peace. So Lord, I just speak this over us. Lord, continue, Father, to be as you as we have sang this morning. You are faithful. You are faithful to us. So Lord, can, uh, have your way in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed, church. Have a good week. And I'm rising up with you. Rising up with you. Rising up with you, rising up with you. You take me high on the wings of your truth. Yes, I'm rising up with you, rising up, rising up with you.